it's, it's difficult sometimes. I'm, uh, my prayer is that I'll really know him, and it's difficult sometimes to make sure that I'm following his lead, and, and so I have to be still, and I just have to listen for a few moments, and we're in that together. And I appreciate the sensitivity here to his Holy Spirit. Very, very beautiful. Did somebody during the course of that, by faith, um, put your faith in the Lord during that moment that would just show me a hand and let me see that, yeah, that's me? Is there, is there someone like that who would say, that's me? I know it takes boldness and strength to do that, but I just want to know because I want to pray for you. Okay, well, if uh, you need to talk afterwards, please know that there's those, there's those of us who are available to you and maybe even the person that, that brought you today. Well, all right, here we are. The last Sunday of February the first Sunday of Lent. I appreciate it, Alan mentioning that, that we have now officially entered the Lent season. Uh, my Catholic background, I like to acknowledge the church calendar and it began with Ash Wednesday, the ashes being symbolic of, uh, of a time of mourning. And the reason we're mourning is because now we're walking with Christ to the church. God took me in a different direction this week, and it's just always fascinating to me how he leads, because I had called the communion people and asked them to arrange communion for this Sunday, because I was certain I would be teaching from the Last Supper. But the Holy Spirit began teaching me from this man, Judas Iscariot, and so we're just going to take a few verses and consider Judas this morning. And I don't know that, you know, how many of us have ever even heard a message on Judas, but I have to believe that there's something here for somebody, and uh, so we'll just trust the Lord on that. If, if you're a guest today, we welcome you, and uh, we want you to know that we're just walking the Bible one book at a time, and, and this brings us to Luke chapter 22, which puts us on the eve of the Last Supper. We're approaching the Last Supper. It's Passover. And I told you um, two weeks ago that I was going to correct a, a misstatement that I made today, but I had no leading on that this week except to say that if I emphasize that the lambs were killed on Friday, and if I did that a couple of times, th that's not correct, and largely because we have to remember that the Jewish day always begins the eve prior, okay? And so that changes the way we look at each day. And uh, so there's, uh, so uh, just want to clarify that. I may have greater clar clarity for you next week as we look at the Passover in more detail and at the uh, Last Supper. But I'm in Luke chapter 22, verse 1. Now the feast of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching. And I've emphasized Passover, Pentecost, the feast of the unleavened bread. These were the three primary celebrations on the Jewish calendar. Uh, Jewish men were required by law to come to Jerusalem each year for these three celebrations. If they were too poor to make the journey for all three of these occasions, then typically they would find themselves in, in Jerusalem for the Passover. It was a time of celebration. We, we studied here the book of Exodus, and we, we looked at how God led the children of 
of Israel out of bondage in Egypt, uh, guiding them to the promised land. Passover is the night that everything broke when God sent his death spirit throughout Egypt. And if a home was not covered by the blood of the lamb, again, a prophetic word about the coming Messiah who is the blood, who is the lamb, who was slain for the sins of the world, that as God's death spirit moved over uh, Egypt, that the firstborn, whether man or animal, would be killed. And that was what forced Pharaoh's hand as he witnessed the heir to the throne, his own son, killed by the Spirit of God. And uh, yeah, but he continued to be hard even after that. But this is a celebration of that moment when he said, get out of here, right? Yeah. Verse 2, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. It's just incredible to me how these religious leaders are going to pull off the worst crime in history, literally going to war against God on their greatest and most holy occasion, the occasion of Passover. But during Passover, the Jews were expected to remove any traces of leaven from their house. Leaven, you know, we put yeast in bread to cause it to rise. This is the word leaven, bread that was, you know, caused to rise with, with yeast. So you get rid of all leaven, get rid of all yeast from the house. And this, of course, was a reminder that God had told the people to break, to bake, not break the bread, but boy, that's a tongue twister there, a little bit of a challenge, to bake bread in haste, not allowing time for it, it to rise, okay? So to get rid of any bread during this time that has, has, has uh, had opportunity to rise, okay? So they would hold an event a couple of days before Passover in some of these Jewish homes where they would take brooms and brushes and they would clear out all the leaven in the house, just looking in every corner. Some families would literally uh, reserve a piece of that leaven and hide it somewhere in the home for the children to kind of go hunting for, you know? Sort of like you wonder if the Easter egg hunt might have been influenced by this idea of searching for leaven in the house. And in the course of their searching, the kids were apt to find other leaven that might have been missed. And so it was kind of a way to guarantee the house had been cleared of, of all leaven. But Jesus had previously given a warning about religious people, particularly about religious leaders. And it has to do with leaven. When he writes these words in Luke chapter 12, verse 1, we looked at this quite a while back, where he says to his followers, be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. And then he defines the yeast of the Pharisees as hypocrisy. Beware of that. Beware of what's in them. Because these guys know how to clean their houses of leaven for Passover, but the fact of the matter is they have not learned to deal with matters of their own hearts. And so by way of application, what this reminds you and me of this morning is that we need to walk fully disclosed before God. And this is a message we've been hearing continually in this church, that we walk in the light as he is in the light, that we allow God to continually examining us because if we, if we believe that somehow we've arrived and, and somehow we're above the capacity of, of failure, then we have potentially positioned ourselves in the same posture of these religious leaders, okay? And this emphasis here is articulated in 1 John chapter 1, so I just have to read it because I love the Word of God, where it says, if we walk in the light, 
coming out of the shadows, fully disclosed. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, and confession is nothing more than agreeing with God about what he already knows, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. So he wrote these words to believers, and these words are for you and me today. But now here we are. Passover approaching, people are making preparations, and we have these religious leaders who want to get rid of Jesus, and for a long time now, they've been looking for an opportunity to get rid of Jesus, but the fact of the matter is, he was very popular. The people loved him, and if they were to act against Jesus, these religious leaders, they had no idea to what level the crowds and the mobs would go to come to Jesus' defense. So now, as we're going to go forward here, we see that suddenly they are presented with a perfect opportunity because now an insider comes to them and he says, tell you what, I can report to you exactly when Jesus is most vulnerable, when the crowds are not around him. So look at this, verse 3. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. And of course, they were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Wow. So other than the fact that Judas will forever be remembered as the one who betrayed Jesus, we really don't know a whole bunch about him. I mean, Judas is his name. His, his surname is Iscariot, which is taken from the word Kerioth because he was born in Kerioth. So he's Judas of Kerioth, which is shortened like Michael of Tucson, Michael the Tucsonan here. He's Judas of Kerioth, which is a town south of Judah. Peter, James, and John, if you look at any list of the disciples, any list of the 12, you will always see Peter, James, and John at the top of the list. They were Jesus' inner circle. But you look at that same list of disciples, and you will certainly find Judas' name down at the bottom. He's the very last. John, the apostle, didn't think a whole lot about this guy named, named Judah because uh, of what he had witnessed. And he talks about how one day there was a woman in Bethany named Mary who anointed Jesus' feet with very expensive oil. And this made Judas angry. Look how John writes this. This is John chapter 12, verse 6, when he says, But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who would betray him, said, that perfume was worth a small fortune. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Sounds noble, but John saw through him. And look what he writes. Not that Judas cared for the poor. He was a thief who was in charge of the disciples' funds, and he often took some for his own use. There's 
Judas Iscariot. There's what the other disciples thought of him. There's what John uh, thought about him. Now, I want you to hold on to that because we're going to come back to this. But early on, when I was a young man preparing for ministry, I was told that there are two things that will usually take a man out of the ministry. And one of those is inappropriate relations with women. And the other is what? Money. Absolutely. Uh, So what this is today by way of application We have people in our church who deal with the funds of our church, and they are especially vulnerable, and we need to pray for them. We need to pray for God's protection over them, okay? Uh, You better believe that churches have been robbed by the very people who they've entrusted to take care of the funds, okay? So let's just take a moment, and let's just pray for them right now. Father God, we thank you for the way that you've blessed this body of believers and for the generous giving. And we thank you for the way each uses their gifts and for those who have gifts of administration and particularly uh, in the area of handling funds of the church. But we see here that they're vulnerable and we pray for their protection, Lord. We pray that you'll bless them as they use their gifts, but that you'll also help them to keep their eyes on Jesus and not on those funds or who's giving what so that they can walk in full victory before you and in confidence before you. Uh, their brothers and sisters here at Summit Church. Thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Jesus says this about Judas in Mark 14, verse 21. He says, It would be better for him if he had not been born. Now, look at that. Can, can I tell you this morning that it's a bad day when Jesus says about you that it would be better if you had never been born? <laughs> that, that really is a, a bad day. But as I studied Judas, I was just blown away by how many scholars and commentaries and different things asked the question, how could Judas do such a thing? I mean, here he is, a close follower with Jesus. What would cause him to act that way. And, and I'm reading this and I'm like, am I missing something here? Because it just seems so clear to me in verse 3 that it says, Satan entered him. So that he's not even moving on his own initiative. So we wonder, well, what's that all about? Matthew gives us some insight on this. Look at Matthew 26, verse 14, when it says this. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So see right there, we, we find a chink in Judas's armor, and it has to do with the love of money. Listen to what Paul writes to Timothy, Timothy uh, 1 Timothy 6, verse 9. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all, and I don't know why the NIV adds these extra words. It's almost like to discount what is being said here. All kinds of evil. No, all evil. Some people, and could we plug Judas's name there? Is he thinking maybe of Judas? Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And I'm going to show you in just a moment how Judas was pierced by his actions. So Luke poses this, this situation that Satan entered 
Judas and caused him to act, which reminds us of a question that we often find ourselves asking when we see somebody do something totally foolish. And that question is, what would have possessed him? What would have possessed her to cause him or her to act in such a way? And then we look at Matthew here, and we can see the chink in Judas's armor when he points out that he had a, a, a greedy heart, and he let that greed get out of hand, even to the point where he finds himself betraying the Messiah, the very Christ. Now, it's fascinating to me, this question about why would Jesus, Judas do such a thing? And the church is, is really good, it seems to me, at trying to figure out why people do the things they do. And we love to get together in our Sunday school class and ask that question, or our small groups, why would they do such a thing? How could they do such a thing? And it makes me wonder if perhaps it's some way of, of, of feeling better about ourselves, you know? How could anyone do that? But wouldn't it be better to look at those situations and recognize our own capabilities apart from the Spirit of God living in us? How far will a human being go to fulfill the desires of his flesh, even to the point of denying the Savior? So the application right here is simply, we've got to be candid before God to consider what is my point of vulnerability, and we've got to continually surrender that thing to the God whom we serve. Because you've got your areas of vulnerability, I've got mine. Uh, we get beat up by this voice that says, on one hand, you know, if people really knew what I was like, there's no way they could ever like me. And then on the other hand, we find ourselves asking questions like, how could anybody ever do that? That's not walking in light. That's walking in shadows, okay? So the body of Christ, we become stronger and better when we recognize, hey, I need you, and I have a hunch you need me too. And you probably struggle with the same stuff I do. I'm not alone in my struggle. So let's, let's pray for each other. And love each other. But I want to go on in this uh, Timothy passage that we were looking at here. Uh, some people, um, you know, wanting to get rich have set themselves up with real tragedy. But he, this is what it calls us to do. Because this is such an application in verse 11 where it says, But you, you man of God. And, and right there we want to disqualify ourselves and say, Well, I'm not really a man of God anyway. So he's talking about somebody else. No, he's talking about you, believer. You man of God. You woman of God. Okay? Wake up, church. Talking to you. He's talking to me. Talking to you. But you, man, I got flee from all this. Flee from the need to get rich. Flee from the desires of the flesh. Flee from selfish ambition. Okay? And do what? And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you, were made, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And so that's your call. Get your eyes on Jesus, okay? He is the source of your strength and the source of your life. But man, Satan entered Judas. Did you hear that? Did you hear that statement? Does that scare you just a little bit? Does it make you wonder? Does it make you ask the question, can Satan possess a believer? Did you think about that when we read it? Well, here's what I want you to know. And of course, it's all scripture because the only thing I seek to do here is to bring us to the scriptures over and over again. But look at this verse. This is 1 John 4, verse 4. This is what you need to know. You dear, you dear children, you Christ followers, are from God and have overcome them. 
these false ones. And the reason is, it says, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Did you hear that? Yeah. Who's in you? Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Yes, God in you. Who's in the world? Satan. The one who's in you is greater than the one in the world. You don't need to fear. You just stand there. You stand on the one in you who is, who is greater. Now look at this. This is Romans 8, 38 and 39. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you vulnerable as a believer? Walk in the strength that is yours by keeping your eyes on Jesus. But right there, that word in, we see, we see Judas's problem. See, Judas may have been with Jesus, but he wasn't in Jesus. And you might say, well, how did he get there? Frankly, I don't care how he got there. The reality is he wasn't living in Jesus you keep your eyes on Jesus. We hear it again and again, and we hear it right here. One time Jesus said very clearly to his disciples these words, Yet there are some of you who do not believe. And he could say that here this morning. There are some of you who do not believe. You evaluate. Hear what Jesus is saying. Okay, hear what John is saying here. For Jesus had known from the beginning which one of them did not believe and who would betray him? He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed Jesus. That is a picture of Judas. He may have been with Jesus, but he wasn't in Jesus. And now we're really confused here because it's like, oh my goodness, Jesus knew from the beginning? Yeah. And, and, and let me throw one more wrench in it, okay? This is uh, John 17, the high priestly prayer. Jesus is praying for the church, right? And he prays these words to the Father. He says, none has been lost. None of those that the Father entrusted to Jesus has been lost, except the one doomed to destruction, so that Scripture would be fulfilled. Wow! So John 6 says no one can come to Jesus unless the Father is drawing him. And right here in John 17, it gives the, the, the impression that Judas was chosen for this role. Oh my goodness, all kinds of problems here. Does this say that Judas had no free will in this? That it was out of his control? And what about you? Does it say you don't have free will to choose God? Is that what that's saying right here? Why would Jesus choose Judas in the first place? And they read this and it says, so Scripture may be fulfilled. Judas was chosen so that Scripture may be fulfilled. <laughs> Did Jesus know that it would play out the way that it has? And if that's true, then what does Jesus know about your future? What is it about you that he knows that you don't? All sorts of questions. These are tough questions. Denominations are, are formed over these questions, unfortunately. But here's what you need to know, and this is strictly for the, the, the purpose of 
today's teaching because we're going to see this as we move more into the Passion Week in the days ahead, and we'll have to address this as, as we go. It's about the chink in your armor, and it's about the point where you are most vulnerable, and you have a choice. You can pretend that you are, you've got it together, that it's everyone else who's messed up and ask questions, how could Jesus, Judas respond the way he does? And that, my friends, is nothing more than sheer deception because if there's going to be anything good and glorious that comes out of you and out of me, it's going to be because of the Holy Spirit who's at work in us so that even we ourselves are blown away by our actions to the point that all we can say is, all glory to God. <laughs> Don't look at me, look at him. And of course, this brings us to the one application that we want to be about as a church, and that is, well, maybe you better say it. What is that application? All eyes on Jesus. Yeah, all eyes on Jesus. The chink in his armor was money. Money was more important to Judas than was his relationship to Jesus Christ. Uh, I saw this quote this week. Listen to this. If you want to know where your heart is, Look where your mind goes when it wanders. Whoa. So it's like, hey, God, I need your help. I'm keeping my eyes on you. You're my strength and my salvation. Thank you that you began a good work in me and you promised to carry it on to completion. I'm holding on to Jesus with everything I've got. Amen? Yeah. Judas' first love is money. That is idolatry. And the thing where your mind goes when it wanders, that too is idolatry. But now we have this whole thing with, with Satan. And there's churches today who want to say that Satan isn't real, that he's not a problem, okay? Yeah, we, we, we have this going on. But we'll never fully grasp the power of what Jesus accomplished on the cross as long as we're not understanding the power of the one who has people in bondage, the taskmaster, the devil. And we need to understand this. It's very clear in Scripture. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 and 2 says this to us. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And we want to go around pretending like we're pretty good people. But it says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, Satan. And we don't want to go there. Huh? The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Oh my goodness. So if we're not walking in God's will, then that means by default we're being influenced by the power and direction of somebody else. Does that mean even our words are being influenced and directed by the power of somebody else? And we don't even want to go there, but we have to go there because it's recognizing that we've been in the clutches of one who has our destruction in mind, while at the same time the one who has life is extending his hand and saying, come home, come home, come home, recognize recognize that this is killing you and come home come home greater is he that is in you greater is he that is in me greater is he that is in us than he that is in the de in the in the in the world yeah i was looking at my next verse here <laughs> look at this this is uh, romans 8 no no i'm at the wrong scripture uh where is this let me see hold on this is James 4, 7, and 10. You have to jump down a few verses there, Terry, but uh, this is ahead a little bit. It says, 
Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Here's how you do that. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. You got to get that. But what I want to do, now back up, Terry, one verse, because I want us to read together this verse I just quoted, Romans 8, 38 and 39. Let's read this together. Back up. Yeah, here it is. Let's read this together. I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hold on to that, my friends. Hold on to that and believe it. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep focused right there. But with Judas, what we see is a story of tragedy. A guy who was with Jesus, but was never in Jesus. And we have that tragedy in our churches. We have people who come close. But if, if, if they point blank had to answer the question, do you really know him? They might have a blank stare and say, what does that mean? Does he really know you? And they've got all the rules down, and they're there every Sunday, and they know how to dress appropriately to be culturally accepted, and they know what they should do and what they shouldn't do, so they have all the law. But in the course of that, they're missing the incredible grace to recognize that it doesn't matter how perfectly you carry out all the laws of God or all the laws of men, you're only going to fall short, and it only shows you how desperately you need a Savior. And so Judas' story becomes one of tragedy. I don't want your story to become one of tragedy. Know him. Let him know you. Stop playing the game. Get in relationship. And, and, and you say, I don't know how to do that. Well, you're right. Ask him how to do that. Okay? He'll teach you. And that's where I am right now. What does it mean that to abide in you, Lord? Teach me. Teach me to abide, because if, if, if all else fails, I want to make sure that you and me are in relationship. And I know that Mike Descoli isn't going to be able to perform anything without your spirit at work. I need to know you, the only true God. But Judas' story is one of tragedy. Look how this plays out. This is going over to Matthew 27, verse 3. When Judas, who had betrayed Jesus, saw that he was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. Doesn't this sound good? He says, I have sinned, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. And I want to stop right there. Luke gets much more graphic with this. Look at how Luke describes this. And this is parenthetical in the book of Acts. Listen to, to Luke's description. He says, now this man, this Judas, purchased a field with the wages of iniquity. He has a different perspective on how this played out, right? And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem so that field is called in their own language akeldama that is field of blood now go back to where we were in first timothy where it says some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs could he be talking about judas huh yeah 
And yet we have bands today that want to call themselves Judas priests, followers of Judas rather than followers of Jesus, that we're going to follow Judas to death and we're going to reject life. And they're doing that blatantly, but the reality is many are doing it passively by failing to admit that they need a Savior and thinking that somehow they are good enough. I want to go back uh, to these words in Matthew 27, 3. Notice these words, very important. It says, seized with remorse, he returned the 30 silver coins and said, I have sinned. Wow, doesn't that give the impression that Judas got things right before God, before he died? It kind of gives that impression, right? In fact, the King James actually uses the word repent right there. Wow, repent, that's a good word, isn't it? Yeah. But you know what's really interesting? When you go back to the original language, when John the Baptist said repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, and when Jesus said repent, they were using a Greek word that literally means turn around, recognize the folly of your way, recognize that you're going independent of God and it's leading you into darkness, and turn around and come home, do a 180. That's the good word for repent. But you look up this word, and it's a much more complex word. And it doesn't say that at all. In fact, the Amplified clarifies what this word repent means. Listen to the Amplified here. It says, Judas was afflicted in mind and troubled for his former folly with little more than selfish dread of the consequences. Can I just put this in common English for you this morning? Judas was sorry that he got caught. Largely because he knew what it meant. But if he had known, he was caught from the very beginning. And so many in church today have bought into this lie that says it's only wrong if you get caught. We may not believe that if we debate it, but we act on it. It's only wrong if we get caught. But we all have to recognize is that before a holy God who is all-knowing, we've all been caught. We're all busted. And God's not standing over there waiting to blow us up with some kind of great big old bazooka. But instead, he's saying, would you see and would you be honest and real and come to me realizing that I didn't put my son on the cross because it was a nice picture that people could have on their walls, but I did it because it was the only way for people to ever come back into relationship with me. Would you see it? Repentance. I'm going my own selfish way. It isn't working for me. God, I want to learn to do life the way you created me to do life. And for anyone who will hear, Jesus is saying this. If anyone is thirsty, parched from doing life in a dry and weary land, this fallen world which we live in, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Me, not the bar, right? Not the bong, not having to be accepted by people or getting the right job or just enough money or the right house or the right neighborhood or life in Estes Park, let them come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And this message will never grow out of date. It's the same message for all times. Thank you, Lord. 
Oh, I pray for the people in this room and myself that we would really know you. Not just have been with you, but really know you and be known by you. Not just the form of God, but the transforming power of Jesus Christ in our lives. To know you. We want to know you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Draw people to yourself, God. Even now. We don't want to be Judas. We don't want to be Judas priests. We want to be spirit-filled, Christ-followers, disciples. Thank you, Holy Spirit. for bringing this to light and for drawing us to you. Thank you, Father, for drawing us to Jesus. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.